Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! <laughs> Pack your bags and get ready. You're going to Vegas with people who know Vegas. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Welcome to Vegas. Like every major metropolitan area in America, Las Vegas is suffering from a loss of available talent in the workforce. Especially in a city that relies on great customer service, Vegas businesses need to make sure that every hire is a good one and that their team of talent is functioning at the highest level. And that's where today's guest comes in. Adrienne Somerville is one of America's finest talent management consultants, and she joins us today to discuss what is essential for Vegas and also for your business to survive in the next few years. And of course, the Vegas Never Sleeps team of Vegas experts are here. On today's show, your Vegas insider, Scott Robin of VitalVegas.com, talks about something that at first seems to be just another additional cost, but in reality may make your visit even more memorable. Mr. Big is here too, as is your personal sommelier, America's first master psalm, Eddie Osterlin. And finally, Brett Mealy of Pawn Stars discusses how to best display fine art in your home. Let's face it, we all know business is not the same. Here in Las Vegas, all you have to do is go into a casino or a restaurant, and you can tell things are different, staffing's different, customer service approach is different. It's an important time. There's opportunities there, but there's also opportunities for failure, and we don't want to do that. We got somebody on. We had her on earlier, uh, several months before, and we got a lot of great response, so we wanted to bring her back on again Her name is Adrienne Somerville, and she'll tell you all how to get a hold of her. She runs her own consulting firm, building relationships with the right people. And this is how a company is the sum of its parts. I love that. So kind of explain that. You know, that really is a different way to look at the company itself. Thank you so much, first of all, Steve, for having me back. It's always exciting. Um, It's always a great opportunity to chat and talk about something I love and something that is so near and dear to all of us, right, as we're facing our get back get back to America doing business the way we normally do plan, right? So it's certainly a pleasure to be on today. Um, Yeah, you know, it's really important to understand that companies, um, despite we're so analytical, right? There's so much data and we're always looking at numbers, but to recognize that the sum of those parts are behind all those fancy facts and figures and all that analysis that goes there, we are dealing with faces and feelings. And so the sum of all those parts are recognizing that the diversity that people are bringing to the teams these days, really it's what's propelling companies to be very successful. It's that humanistic leader that inspires, that's getting people to do what they need to do, that is really making things happen on our business front. You talk a lot about diversity, but it's not just what people might think automatically. You're talking about diversity from all different backgrounds. And you just look at, you've got a tremendous educational background, as one would expect, and somebody does what you do. But I look at this, and you've got 
Norfolk State University. Then you got the Florida Institute of Technology, a different place, different vibe. Georgetown, Harvard University, Kennedy School. <laughs> I, and I would imagine that kind of goes a little bit. Having had all those experiences, do you find that it was kind of like, wow, each place brings its own specialty. And each time you go to this different type of uh, place of learning, you're picking up not only more information, but even a different way to look at things. Absolutely. That, you know, and this is what I love about that word diversity. It does mean so much. And, and so for me in this context, it really is about what so many of us are facing today, and it is the ability to reinvent ourselves. And so I'll just tell a little bit about my journey. Um, I have always been impressed and fascinated with people with diverse backgrounds. So it's like you did one job and then you pivoted and did something else and separate and distinct from the other thing you were doing. But for each and every opportunity, you had to reinvent yourself. And how amazing is that? And so even along my journey, I wanted to be an attorney. I became like a contracting officer um, for the federal government. And then I became a talent management. And then I did program management and then logistics and supply chain, you know, an author, a speaker, you know, uh, it, it's a CEO of, a co- of two companies, actually. And so what, what I want people to think about in this environment is that you can diversify your portfolio of talent at any time you decide, and then you can reinvent yourself and, and have these different skills that you can leverage going forward, despite where you are and more importantly, where you've been. Well, even for an individual, this is so important because, you know, in, in my day when I was growing up as a kid, my father worked for the same company for decades, he moved up and so forth. Things don't happen that way anymore. And it's not only that companies change and there's more movement, but even technology has changed the way we do things so quickly that you got to be able to adapt. And that's why the things you're talking about, a diversity of skills and a diversity of contacts is so important to move on in the 21st century. The networking is key because we still are movers and shakers and doers by people. And so I always tell people it's so important to build your resume, to build your performance. But I, but I, I always like to caution people, don't be so fixed on performing, 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 that performance capital that we have to build and lose sight of what is also your relationship capital. Because in, in any opportunity, any technical area, as diverse as we have, you know, all these different technical disciplines, you can build and build and build your professional capital, your performance capital. But what makes you successful as well is the relationship capital, because I can move about in my career with performance capital, but I can ascend in my career, move upward in my career with the relationship capital. Back with more from talent management consultant Adrian Somerville in just a moment. But first, let's talk about your art collection. How do you stage it in your home to make it and your house shine? Well, let's ask Brett Maley, the art appraiser from the popular TV show Pawn Stars. I always advise people to hang art where you can see it. <laughs> You'd be surprised how many people they'll they'll frame something exquisitely or make a you know a fairly exorbitant purchase and then it'll end up in a, a back hallway. Uh, the nice thing about Las Vegas homes, especially, is uh, they move towards very open air, uh, large vaulted walls and ceilings, and it actually makes for a very conducive atmosphere. 
for viewing art the way it should be, which is kind of from a distance, preferably at eye level. And you want to, again, not to be flippant, you do want to hang it where people can see it. And there's certain types of art, certainly you want to have uh, a certain amount of breathing space. For example, if it's an impressionist piece, you don't want to be looking at that up close. You, you really have to, by the nature of the style, look at it from a distance. So you have to hang that maybe a little differently than you might a, a realist piece or a pop art piece. And then you also have to be a little careful too. You mentioned over the mantle. Uh, are, you, are you running the fireplace a lot? You know, because the heat and the soot and things like that over time, not immediately, but over time could adversely affect the piece. So yes, I'm, I'm, if people want to consider with me about where to hang their art or how it should best be presented. We're certainly open to that, and uh, it's very important. Well, is that an issue then with kitchens? Because there'll be smoke in a kitchen, you would imagine, or even in a dining room? Yeah, I mean, again, art is not a delicate flower for the most part. It's not going to just, you know, wilt as soon as, you know, heat gets it. But it's a it's a cumulative effect over time. And certainly over a fireplace, you're going to get some of the carcinogens and soot, even if you try to, you know, get it out through the flue or whatever else uh, over time. The kitchen, again, you wouldn't want to hang a valuable piece over a stove or, or you know, too close even to, you know, uh, lighting, uh, you know, track lighting. It puts out quite a bit of heat. We've got some track lighting in our gallery that'll burn your hand if you get it too close to it. So uh, again, you want to have it spaced properly. Thanks, Brett. Remember to visit the Mailey's wonderful gallery in town. It's called Art Encounter. And if you mention Vegas Never Sleeps when you call them, they can arrange a limo to pick you up from your hotel. And just a reminder for great classic sports, it's Sports RACX, which is available on radio stations nationwide and wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Sports RACX. It's short for Sports Rock and Tours. And later today on Sports Rock and Tours, we present the first of a two part series on the fascinating relationship between Branch Rickey and Jackie Robinson and the breaking of the color line in Major League Baseball. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Mangi, coast to coast on the Talk Media Network. You hear Mr. Big every week on this show. Now Mr. Big invites you to visit him online and save some money. All his books are now on Kindle, and he's got a variety of books, fiction and nonfiction, including The Life and Times of Frank Balisteri, books on casino games, and much more. You can buy the Kindle and save even more money. Go to MilwaukeeMob.com. That's MilwaukeeMob.com. That's MilwaukeeMob.com. Hey, Bugsy, you hear the news about Vinny? Yeah, it's a real shame he owed money to the IRS and they finally cut up with him. Just like Al Capone. If the IRS can get to Capone, imagine what they can do to little old Vinny, huh? Poor cat, he was on top of the world, then bada-boom, bada-bing. What Vinny needs now is an offer he can't refuse. Hey, you got a tax problem? Does the IRS claim you owe them a bunch of dough? They can get you too. So call the tax relief line now and learn if you qualify to negotiate your $10,000 plus IRS tax debt for up to a 75% savings. Don't be like Al or Vinny and get busted. Make this free call now. Learn how you may be able to pay the IRS less. Call now. 866-657-8517. 866-657-8517. That's 866-657-8517. Did Louis the Coin really soak the sheets with red wine in Rome? Yes. 
Did he really tell a federal court after testing positive for cocaine in his 70s that he only used coke for sex? Yes. Well, you can get these tales and more in the great book, You Thought It Was More, Adventures of the World's Greatest Counterfeiters. It's available now at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or at LouisTheCoinBook.com. That's Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or at LouisTheCoinBook.com. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. You are listening to Adrian Somerville, who believes in building relationships with the right people and is well known as a top consultant in the talent management field. At some point, you have performed very well, and everybody knows you're great, but you want to do something different. You want to pivot. You want to diversify your portfolio a little bit. And you may have to rely on that relationship capital to gain access and and opportunity to an area that you've never performed. And I always tell people this will resonate with people. And, you know, you've got sports radio, you've got Las Vegas and great people out there. But this is the key. When you think about it, think of an athlete. You know, I graduate and and I've performed very well in college. I've never played in the league. But those relationships that I've built will give me access and opportunity to compete and play in an area where I've not performed. And so sometimes in order to ascend, you're going to have to rely on those relationship opportunities to gain opportunity and access to compete. So I don't want people to lose sight of those along the journey. Well, this is great. And it's exactly what people were asking for because some of the responses we got from your first visit was, we get the idea that she's a great speaker. She fires you up. You're ready to go through a wall after listening to her, you know, do whatever it takes and stuff. But my thought was, well, let's talk specifically about, you know, you've, you've had a lot of successes. You mentioned it before, but this whole thing with uh, NAVAIR, you know, the Navy and the Department of Defense and so forth. Your first approach to this, to talent management, I think I'd kind of like you to go through the process because people have to remember. So when you, when you go on there and, and they're asking you to do these things, you're going into a bureaucracy that's done it the same old-fashioned way so long that in itself had to be a challenge, right? To get people to even think differently, that this can be done differently. You know, the day, and there, believe it or not, there are still a lot of organizations that count butts and seats, if you will. And I say that respectfully. It's a head count of how many people are in an organization. And when Steve leaves, we need to replace Steve. And so when, when I came into this talent management role, um, what I loved about it is it was very grassroots. So it wasn't a top-down requirement. It was, what are we going to do to get people fired up, get them passionate about what they're working on, aligned to those products and skills, understanding who they are, more importantly, and what they bring to the fight. So how do we do that? So what always happens in this instance is when I started working with the Navy doing talent management, it was, let's, let's look at our mission. Let's look at what we deliver. Let's look at the products and services. And I would offer the same model can be scalable and has velocity in any organization. People have got to see how they align to products and services that support the mission. I deliver X. This is my end item product. This is what my contribution will go towards. Every day when I come in, I'm supporting these products and I can see those products. I can t- I'm connected to those products. The worst thing you want in an organization is someone who doesn't realize If they do not come to work tomorrow, 
what's the impact? Right. That's what we don't want to have. We want that clear line. So then now I understand this is what I deliver and I support the military and I'm, I'm rolling out. I can see my clear line of sight. I have great clarity on that. So now what we have to afford individuals and organizations is what do you need to optimally perform? What knowledge, skills, and abilities do you need to know? Now, that's, that's one piece. The other thing is let's talk about what you do know. We have to learn to embrace those gaps. So if there is something I'm supposed to know and I don't know it, the richness of talent management is that discovery. It is very telling to know that John should know something that he doesn't, but as a leader, I'm going to get that for him. I'm going to help him get that training and get those knowledges and get those abilities because I'm going to close that gap. To the extent in which I can close that gap, John will grow. Yeah. And he will grow individually. But more importantly, we will grow organizationally. So how do we spend our training dollars? Every organization, training is so important. Training and development, leadership programs, career development. And so how do we target our training dollars so that we are continuing to ensure that they're targeted, they're closing John's gap, people are growing, they're linked to performance. The more I teach, the more people produce the better they perform. Is part of then talent management is, again, I love that because the first thing you're thinking about is your is your audience, is your product. I love that mm -hmm. because I think it's so easy to sit there and go, wow, I got all these great, great programmers, great this, great that, but are they meeting that need? So I, I got to ask you, is part of talent management then not only seeing people knowing what you have, but kind of seeing the potential like, wow, this person hasn't done this type of work, but because of those kind of soft skills that I can see, I think it'll be, they'll be great in this thing and they can kind of transfer or it takes some of the same skill set. Is, is that part of it before you get into the, even the training part? That is indeed. So it's so important to understand the portfolio of talent that you have, not the number of people you have, but the talent you have within those individuals. And we have, and, and this is what I really love about talent management. You're spot on. We live in a society where you have to be agile. We have work that comes up. We have opportunities. We have different market sectors that we want to get in to, to grow our businesses. How do I take the existing talent I have and redeploy those assets? How do I, you know, how do I know what I have? How do I know what skilled people have that are germane, right, to the positions that they do? But you, Steve, may bring a whole portfolio that I just never tapped into and didn't even know you had. But with some agile work coming in and some opportunities to move you about, growing, keeping my, my, my workforce challenged and keeping them growing in their career, that's important. Um, many of the young people I've had an opportunity to talk to, they're looking for career development. They're looking for diversity of skills and backgrounds um, that allow them to be flexible and redeployable. But as a company, we, we embrace that because we want an agile workforce that's scalable. More with Adrian Somerville, who is a renowned leader in the talent management field at the federal and state levels, as well as many private organizations and businesses, in just a moment. Time to visit the Vintage Vegas Crime Blotter now with Mr. Big. Today's topic, another brief look at a Vegas mob figure. You gotta love the nicknames that some of the mobsters had over the years. One of my favorites is Johnny Handsome. Tell us about it, Mr. Big. 
Hi, Johnny Handsome was quite the guy. Johnny Roselli, a.k.a. Johnny Handsome, um, came over to the United States as an illegal immigrant. He would call it, get jammed up for that little stunt himself. But Johnny Handsome, who I like to call Roselli, was in and out of Vegas a lot. He was a mover and shaker in Vegas. He was a big mover and shaker in Hollywood. He knew a lot of the body was berries, and over the time I'll be telling you many, many stories of Mr. Handsome. But Mr. Handsome doesn't end up well. Mr. Handsome ends up in about his about 70, 72. He ends up in a 55-gallon drum floating off the coast of Miami. Not a good ending for Mapster, but in his day, Guy Johnny Handsome had it all. Thanks once again, Mr. Big. And we'll have more from the Vintage Vegas Crime Blotter next week. And remember, you can always check out everything about Mr. Big at MilwaukeeMob.com. He's got books on crime and gambling, some really cool merchandise. That's MilwaukeeMob.com. Don't forget to listen to Sports Rock and Tours for the very best in classic sports, available wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Manchie nationwide on the Talk Media Network. I'm Bobby Brooks Wilson, and you're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Let's return to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. You are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps. I'm Stephen Maggi, and I'm chatting with Adrian Somerville, who believes a company is the sum of its parts. And that means people bring more to the talent pool than just the minimum requirements of a particular job. Well, are you looking also for a mindset that says like, well, okay, I'm looking for those kind of things. An example in my business People, the traditional radio person, all of a sudden, they, they hear about podcasting. You go, well, you got to do it. Okay. But they don't realize that those are, two, you know, they're, they're similar, obviously, but they're not exactly mm-hmm. the same thing. You know, what you do on radio doesn't necessarily trans, translate directly to podcasts. Some of those skills do, but some don't. So is it something... A strong talent management person is always looking to make sure that they're up to the second on the latest technologies and and philosophies and so forth out there and always trying to look to, if nothing else, understand it and then see what, if anything, they can take into what they're currently uh, producing. It's a constant scanning, a constant scanning of what are those disruptive technologies? Um, What are the um, expectations of today's work environment? You know, what are we doing to make work today um, more attractive, more exciting? Like, what, what's going to get people engaged? Increasing engagement is very key in today's environment. And so, yeah, you, you really have to be very deliberate and conscientious in talent management. Um, but what I would offer, because some people might be listening and saying, oh, who has the money for that, right? My company's small. My company, you know, we don't have resources for that. The beauty of talent management is there's a costly way of doing business and there's a a, a more strategic, targeted, cost-affordable way of doing business. By investing and fully understanding your talent, I would submit to anyone, I'd I'd bet my life on it. It's more affordable to embrace talent management in this application and your operationalization than to not do it. Because you'll find yourself hiring people you don't need, offering training courses that you don't need, 
Um, you know, you'll start seeing people leave that you could retain. Um, you could, you know, move skills about and support programs differently. And so doing talent management must become the way we do business. Um, I think if we're going to be successful. Well, okay. So like here in Vegas, one of the biggest difficulties we've got now are getting back people. I mean, they're having a hard time of finding the right folks. And I listen to you and I'm thinking, boy, I want somebody that's handling that because you don't want to just hire people. Oh, well, I'll hire three or four. And if it doesn't work, you don't have that many to choose from. So you got to get the right people that can, that can do that and, and they can handle your vision of the future. And that's very key, what you said, because I've, I've talked to a lot of business leaders and company owners, and they've hired several people. It didn't work out. They hired more people. That's expensive. It's expensive to hire people. It's time. It's commitment. It's resources. I bring them in. I start training, and then they don't stay. Like that's, I mean, and i got to start all over again, so I'm, I'm losing money. Um, but with talent management, I've identified those end-item products. I know exactly what these skills should be. So when I look, it's, it's not a hunch or I think this person's good. It's very clear that I am looking for this portfolio of skills and knowledge and abilities. And these are the end items that they're going to deliver. Uh, so that's what I seek. And if there's a little bit of a gap, maybe they're 80% there. When I put together that training plan for that individual, I'm going to close that 20%. More with talent management expert Adrian Somerville in just a moment. You know, one time in Vegas, to get a great seat at a restaurant, all you had to do was know somebody. These days, it's more about what you're willing to spend, and we'll discuss that now with your Vegas insider, Scott Robin. You're talking about Las Vegas restaurants now charging to reserve a view, and my first thought was, oh, God, now they're going to do another thing, nickel and dime. But then, as you explain it, there's a good reason for it, and it's actually might work to your favor. Yeah, I I uh I start out being outraged like most people when I when I hear about a new fee. Uh but then when I talk to the people in the industry and I talk to customers and I actually think about it for two seconds, I realize, well this kind of makes sense. So so we're talking about places like the top of the world uh at the strat. Absolutely breathtaking views of the Las Vegas Strip. You have your dinner, the dining room revolve revolves, there's a charge to sit in the part of the restaurant by the window that revolves. There is another restaurant, the Eiffel Tower restaurant, which is in, in the Paris, another absolutely gorgeous view. There's Giada's, another beautiful view view of the Strip. So what they're doing is they're, they're dinging you a little bit. In most cases, it's, you know, 25 bucks. They're dinging you to reserve a window seat. And it, it basically is a premium seat. They're giving you an upgrade like on a plane, you can go in coach or you can go in first class. And if you appreciate a view, it's a great way to reserve your spot. Because back in the day, as you know, the what you know, people would tip a major D or a hostess or a friend or whoever to get a good seat. Well, now they're kind of bypassing that process. So yes, you're you know you're screwing the major D out of out of a few bucks and the hostess, which is not optimal, but as a customer, to be able to pay that additional fee and you know you're gonna get a window seat, you're gonna yeah. get a great view, there's no guesswork, how much should I tip, who do I tip, how do I navigate this? It now is something that's set, you book it online, you've got your, your window seat, and you're gonna have a great experience. For a lot of people, the view is as much a part of their experience as the food. 
So yeah. now you've got that locked in and you know that part of your experience is going to be covered. So I go from outrage to eh, that kind of makes sense. And it actually, if you think about it, it's kind of preferable. And so uh, I, I don't want to see this cropping up everywhere because there's a place at Harris. It's a steakhouse. You're looking at palm trees out the window and they're dinging you 10 bucks. I, I don't really want that. Uh, that's Ruth's Chris steakhouse. Uh, I don't want everybody doing this because it's just, then it really is just an annoying charge. But if you've got a great view, why not make the most of it? And here's the top tip. If you're going to the Eiffel Tower restaurant, you've got to book this a few months out because it's, it's one table. It's table 56. It's 100 bucks to reserve this table, but it is in the absolute perfect ideal spot in this restaurant to look both ways down the strip, the Bellagio fountains. You can see Cosmo and Caesars. It's beautiful. I say splurge and do it. Uh, it's not for everybody, but if, if it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience, I say, say go for it. Grab that table, table 56. They do three uh, reservations a night. <laughs> they, they get booked fairly far ahead. So, uh, But there's my little insider tip. I think technically I helped make this famous because I used to work at Seasons Entertainment. And I kept telling them, like, why don't you – I think I'm the one who screwed this up because you, <laughs> you could get table 56 for a handshake or 20 bucks back in the day. Uh, but then when I worked at Caesars, I kept talking it up like, hey, we should do this as a thing. It's, we should market it as the table to get. And now it's actually built into their reservation system. <laughs> if you get table 56, it's going to cost you 100 bucks. Well, so I'm I, sorry, world. <laughs> well, if you want to pop the question for a hundred bucks to have the perfect table, you know, this is a, you're only going to do it once, you hope. So, I mean, if that's the case, uh, why not do it? You know, and it is that that is an incredible view. I know what you're talking about. It's really incredible. Yep, it's right in the corner, uh, uh, and it's, you know, no matter where you look, you're just, it's a stunning view. So, you know, yeah, you the, feel like the, you're sitting by yourself, too. The cost you 200, 300 bucks, but throw an extra 100 in there, and you're, you know, it's the, it really is kind of this backdrop surcharge, because everyone knows what it's like to get a bad table in a restaurant. You know, you're near the kitchen, or you're near the clanging you know, plates and glass. Like, nobody wants that. If you come to Vegas once every three years, you want a perfect experience. You want your food to be perfect. You want the service to be perfect. And you want your view to be perfect. And that's how you do it. You lock it in. And uh, in some cases, you kind of want to be very specific about, about where you are. Because, say, at the Strat, it's not just window seats now. There's a second tier where you move back from the window, so you just want to do a little research beforehand and make sure you know you're not walking in with the expectation you're going to be out the window and really you're just you know you're a few feet back. It costs a little bit less. You got to decide if if that's the experience you want. Thanks, Scott, and make sure to visit Scott's site vitalvegas.com for the very latest on Vegas happenings. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Manji. Coast to Coast on the Talk Media Network. What if every dollar you invested into your training program turned into $30 of revenue? What if your learning program was so engaging that your employees looked forward to annual trainings? And what if you could monitor the success and effectiveness of your curriculum with quantifiable metrics? Go to training.epsilonxr.com.
E-learning has made each of these scenarios possible, utilizing tools such as virtual and augmented reality, simulations, and online instructor-led training provides a safe environment for employees to learn at their own pace. Go to training.epsilonxr.com. Here at Epsilon XR, we have 50 years of experience in creating powerful and effective training programs. We combine proven training methods with cutting-edge technology to create immersive training experiences. Are you ready to take your training program to the next level? Go to training.epsilonxr.com. Training.epsilonxr.com. Welcome back to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Welcome back to Vegas Never Sleeps. We are talking to Adrian Somerville, who in 2013 established the Carolyn E. Parker Foundation, a nonprofit organization that focuses on creating positive impacts for young people. Two more things real quickly on that. One is... You talk about candid discussions, and and I think that's kind of what we're talking about here is that's going to be part of this. And really, maybe it's the most important part for the talent leadership is like, okay, you got to be able to have those discussions, and you're going to talk to somebody who's been, I've been doing it the same way for 30 years, it works then. But you got to tell them, well, we, you know, we don't fight wars the way we fought wars back Absolutely. in the 40s and 50s. Things change, and we, we you have to be kind of, I, I don't know what the right term is, but you certainly got to be flexible to deal with whatever's thrown out there. Very adaptive. Today's environment, I mean, just think of all that we've been through the past couple of years. We had to adapt. I mean, it, it forced us to adapt. And I think what talent management says is, you can intrinsically start to do this. You can start to move your organization. You can bring that person that was, you know, employed with that coffee shop but has so much potential um, into your organization and redevelop and redeploy them. And, and, and the agility and the flexibility to do that resides in that talent management arena. And you're right, convincing people. Um, I, I love the people that questioned it along the way. I welcome those individuals to the table because once you can illustrate it for most individuals, they get it and they embrace it. And this is what I love about talent management. Most of the time people feel that organizational dynamic is about leadership and management. Talent management shines the light on every individual at every level. It says you matter, you're a contributor, you produce, you're connected. It, it resonates. You get trust and transparency and just the openness, and it feeds conversations. Absolutely. It feeds conversations. Absolutely. Well, okay, so let's go to the finish then. Tell people what happened because the, the, the post story on this is sort of interesting. You know, you go through all this stuff, you, you, you convince people, and there, there always seems to be, I'm sure there, there was in this case, where so suddenly everybody, the, the light goes off on most people's heads and they, they kind of get it and they kind of rally together. What ended up happening as you look at it and how did it make a change to the organization, a huge organization? Uh, what, what was the most eye-opening and humbling opportunity for me to serve in this capacity was to see a period of enlightenment. I saw people that were second-guessing their worth and value reconnect. I saw individuals that saw potential and growth, not only in themselves, but in the direction in which the organization was going. 
restored commitments of trust and believing in this place really has my best interests at heart. I'm in it for the long ride. And so I think that's what talent management did, just the energy. It, it really wasn't a period of awakening where individuals said, I do matter. I have talent. Leadership is tapping into me to unleash what I didn't even believe and know I had in my own self. And so that was refreshing at all levels. That was refreshing an insatiable appetite to grow as an individual and be a part of a winning organization. Well, you too can have a winning organization, uh, whether you have a gigantic organization that's international or, you know, you've got a small business in Las Vegas that kind of needs a, a redirect and kind of looking at talent differently. Adrian Somerville Consulting is incredible. Uh, Adrian, tell people how to get a hold of you because it's certainly worth their time to look into it. Thank you. So I can be reached on LinkedIn, of course, and social media platforms, but visit my website. Um, it's www.somervilleconsultinggroup.com. So somervilleconsultinggroup.com. And feel free to reach out. I'm happy to answer any questions. Uh, look forward to chatting, and hopefully you found today helpful. It's always helpful and, and a good reminder for me the value that people bring. Well, it, it is for me as well, and we're always happy to have you on, and we will have you on again. Thank you so much, Adrian. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you, and thank you to all those listeners out there. Really appreciate you. Did Louis the Coin really soak the sheets with red wine in Rome? Yes. Did he really tell a federal court after testing positive for cocaine in his 70s that he only used coke for sex? Yes. Did he really take casinos for millions with homemade slot machine tokens? Absolutely. Want to ride with Louis the Coin at 160 miles an hour? Well, you can get these tales and more in the great book, You Thought It Was More, Adventures of the World's Greatest Counterfeiters. It's available now at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or at louisthecoinbook.com. That's Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or at louisthecoinbook.com. Time now to talk wine with America's first master sommelier and your personal psalm, Eddie Osterlin. So when you talk, Eddie, about comparing wines, at least two there together, is this kind of bringing kind of the fun of wine tasting to the home? Well, yeah. And if you want to have fun tasting wine at home, here's, here's the first tip I'm going to say. Don't just serve one wine because what can you learn about one wine? You can compare it to what you've had in the past, but it's very hard to remember what you had last night versus what you have in front of you. So the fun is done by serving people always two wines for a side-by-side -side comparison. You could have, for example, a Pinot Noir from Oregon versus a Pinot Noir from California. And your question to the people is, which one you think is from Oregon? When the people shrug their shoulders, you tell them, let me tell you how to look for it. Oregon is north of California. It's colder. The grapes don't get as ripe and they're more acidic. California is very warm. The grapes are very ripe and they're kind of jammy. You go back and taste those two wines and the one that's acidic is Oregon and the one that's jammy and fruity is California. And they do that. It's fun. Then you give them a, two wines. Maybe you say, you like Cabernet? Great. I got uh, two of them in front of you. One's $20 a bottle. One's 28 Which one do you think's 28 Well, they got to think about it. And most people kind of go, well, I, don't, I, I don't think I would know. And you just go, the length of the aftertaste determines expensive wines. The longer the aftertaste, the better the wine. They go back to taste the two wines. And they, they say, the one on the right here 
it must be the expensive one. And you go, correct. And they feel good. They learn from you how to taste that wine. And there's a whole system that the French go into called attack evolution finish. And we'll need to discuss that sometime about how do you judge quality in wine. But wines come in all different flavors and all different prices. And there's something good at each price range. I like to look at wine in three distinct sort of levels of quality. Imagine you have a pyramid in front of you and there are three sections of that pyramid. And I call those three sections the three Bs of wine, meaning beverage, better, and best. So this is kind of a way I use to filter my friends as far as who gets the good stuff. Because beverage wine is your simple everyday wine, whether it's two or three buck chuck, $7 yellowtail from Australia, inexpensive stuff you can buy at Costco or Trader Joe's. And everybody gets to have a whole bottle themselves and they get to enjoy the food. And the food could be something like lasagna from Costco. Simple party, inexpensive, everybody's pleased. Then... We step up from beverage to better wine. What does better wine cost? Well, it probably costs twice as much at least. You know, we're now into the $15 to $30 range of wines. And they have characteristics about them. They have perfumes that you smell that none of the, none of the, the everyday beverage wines are even going to think about. Those are just beverage wines you're drinking. But the better wines have more distinction. They go better with food. And it's a step up. And you'll recognize which of your friends recognize the difference between beverage wine and better wine. And then sometimes, and and I'm talking about rare occasions, um, I like to go to the best wines. And the best wines probably are $50 and up a bottle. They cost a lot of money. And there, those wines are the star of the show. You need to tee them up and choose food to play a subordinate role to the wine. So the wine stands on the pedestal and goes, da-da-da-da. You want to serve that first. And I, often I like to use chicken when I serve with those wines because chicken chicken's like a Q-tip with some attitude. It's not going to threaten your wine. It's not going to interfere with any of the flavors. Um, it's standing in the background. It's a sponge. It absorbs the alcohol. So now the wine is more important in the case of the, the best wines. The wine is more important than the food. We're down here at the bottom in the beverage wines. You know, neither, nobody's competing with anybody. You know, people are drinking a wine probably for an alcoholic lift. You know, whereas the wine on the top of the pyramid, people are drinking it because, wow, I, I, thank you, Steve, for opening this bottle. I never had anything like this in my life. Thank you very much for doing that. Thanks, Eddie. Eddie will be back with more tips in the weeks ahead. Coming up next is Sports and Tours. Go to Sports R-A-C-X wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Sports R-A-C-X. It's short for Sports and Tours. And please follow both Vegas Never Sleeps and Sports and Tours on all social media platforms, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for listening today. This is Stephen Manchie reminding you, Vegas Never Sleeps. Vegas, here we go!